0: My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked? Swallow up those more righteous than themselves. You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Chapter 2 I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give his complaints then the Lord replied write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it for the revelation awaits an appointed time it speaks of the end and will not prove false though it linger wait for it it will certainly come and will not delay see the enemy is puffed up His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn saying woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion how long must this go on will not your creditors suddenly arise will they not wake up and make you tremble then you will become their prey because you have plundered many nations the people who are left will plunder you you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted a ruin of many peoples, shaming your house, own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town with injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire? Then the nations exhaust themselves for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives strong drink to his neighbours pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you for your destruction of animals will terrify you for you have shed human blood you have destroyed <coughs> lands and cities and everyone in them of what value is an idol carved by craftsmen or an image that teaches lies for the one who makes it trust in his own creation he makes idols that cannot speak woe to him who says the wood come to life or to lifeless stone wake up can it give guidance it is covered with gold and silver but there is no breath in it look the Lord is in his holy temple let all the earth be silent before him thank you
1: Frank Hey, everyone I'm Jack for those of you who I haven't met before so you can put a face to the name uh, really keen to be able to get into this uh, great book of the Bible with you all. But before we do that, how about I pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Habakkuk. We thank you for this time we have together to be able to, um, to read through that together and to learn from it. Lord, well, please be teaching us from it. Help us to learn more about you and to be able to apply this to our lives. Amen. Right. Well, I was in India uh, a few years ago <clears throat> with a group of people from Trinity uh, Church in the city, and it was a really fun time away in there. It was great to be able to experience a different culture, uh, to be able to see some, some great sights that I've only kind of seen uh, on TV. Um, I got to see a bit of jungle. It was like walking out into a scene from The Jungle Book, uh, which was pretty cool for me. Uh, and also, I uh, got to eat some delicious food. I love this food, even though uh, part of the team did go down with deli belly after a bit of a mishap with some, uh, some chicken curry. It was still delicious, still a great thing to experience, uh, and funnily enough, it was a guy from the army, and the guy who was originally from India in the team, who just kind of ate the food, and was just like, what's wrong with you guys, what are you doing there? Anyway, it was also awesome uh, to be able to meet some of the people over there and to talk to them, but sometimes this was a little bit hard. You see, some, sometimes someone would come up to me and they would say, Hi, how are you going? In perfect English, I won't try to do the accent, it sounded a little bit different to that. I uh, would say, Hi, how are you going? So I'd, I'd start answering them, I'd let them know how my day had been, what I'd been up to, what I was looking forward to you know, during that week, some of the things that I'd seen, um, how delicious the food was before it had almost killed me. Um, and then I'd look up at them and there'd just be this glazed expression on their faces. as they're kind of smiling and nodding at what I'm saying, and I'm just like, you don't understand a single word I'm saying, do you? Uh, yeah, they didn't, but they wanted to be polite, they were, wanted to be nice, it was, it was great. We, we would have a bit, of a bit of a joke over it together, we'd both laugh, and then, um, yeah, going out separate ways. Um, <laughs> but there was something that happened while we were over there that was pretty shocking. See, a pastor in a town not that far away from where we were staying, it was actually dragged out of his house in the middle of the night and beaten and then his church which is also the house that he lives in was burnt to the ground and the pastor was beaten badly enough that he had to be hospitalized. I was very shocked to, to hear that this had happened. We'd been kept fairly protect, protected while we were there, fairly sheltered uh, so he we weren't really exposed to this kind of thing actually happening. But what surprised me even more was actually the response of the other pastors that were at the conference that we were at. Because they didn't respond out of fear. They didn't respond out of outrage to what had happened. They didn't try to retaliate against the group that had done this. Uh, It was a group of Hindu extremists. Uh, But instead, they gathered in a room together with us and sang praises to God. They sang songs to God And they prayed for their brother as he healed in the hospital. Now, I was pretty uh, amazed at this response. And you might be here today, you might be wondering, why on earth would someone respond in that way when something like that had happened? Why would they respond by praising God? Or you might know people who have been in a similar situation and have responded that way. You yourself may have responded that way. The question is there, what caused the pastors we were with to turn to God in praise and thanksgiving at a time where I personally felt anger and I felt fear for these people who were facing this kind of persecution. I learned later on that um, actually a lot of the pastors who we spent time with had faced this kind of thing before. What caused them to respond in the way that they did? Well, Habakkuk gives us some insight into why the pastors responded this way and how the way they responded was actually the right way to respond at this time. Before we get into that, though, let's have a bit of a recap of last week uh, as we look through Habakkuk chapter 1. In Habakkuk, we're uh, given an ear into a conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and none other than God himself. And the conversation so far hasn't, for Habakkuk at least, been particularly uh, comforting, I think. Um, You know, Habakkuk looks around and he sees that there is injustice amongst his own people. I think there's a slide that can pop up here. He looks around at the Israelite nation sees that they are rejecting God's ways. Sees that there is violence and injustice and sees corrupt leaders. In verse 4, Habakkuk says, The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. He's looking around and asking the question of God What has happened? Why is this happening? What has happened to the once great, good nation of Israel? That's the first point. Because Habakkuk knew that where there had once been good, things had gone downhill. Once upon a time, Israel lived in a good relationship with God following what He said to them. They were in a promised land, in a mighty kingdom, and there was peace. But as human nature tends to dictate, that good situation didn't last. Because of the kings of Israel, those who led Israel, uh, they started turning away from God. Instead of following God, listening to Him, and speaking to Him as they were supposed to be doing, they started listening to themselves. They started turning to men and women from other nations who followed false gods. And the consequences were they fell further and further away from God. And so here Habakkuk is despairing over Israel, how they were living, and despairing over the nations that surround Israel. Assyria, the nation that was in power at that time, was closing in on Israel. And Habakkuk has cried out to God, What is going on? Have you forgotten us? Are you listening to what I'm saying? But, as we heard, God answers him. What does he say? I think it's on the next slide. Look at the nations and watch, be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. And what's this thing that God is doing? Well, he's raising up the Babylonians a nation that's even worse than the Assyrians, even worse than Israel, and they were going to come to Israel as God's judgment on them for the way that they had been living, for turning away from God. But we learned last week, through these actions of God, something incredible, that God isn't just a commentator of the things that happen around uh, around the world, around us. He doesn't just kind of sit up there looking down on us, commentating on the events that take place. We learnt last week that God was behind them. He's in absolute control of everything that is going on because He is sovereign. Habakkuk recognises this but says, just hang on a minute. God, the Babylonians are worse than the Assyrians, worse than us. Why them? You hate wickedness, yet you'd use the wicked in this way. You are perfect, but will you stand by And let this imperfection be. And we were left last week with Habakkuk standing on the ramparts, waiting for God to reply to his complaint. And that's where we kick off today, hearing God reply to Habakkuk. And his reply is what helped my friends in India to respond in the way they did to their situation. And it helps us to respond to God today as well. See, God lays out two choices before Habakkuk here in chapter 2. And he says to Habakkuk, this isn't just something that you're going to want to hear. This is something to write down, to give to a messenger, to take out to all, for all to hear. Because what I am saying to you is going to come to pass. There are two ways to live in this life. So in verse 4, God says, The enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death, is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Two ways to live. The unrighteous, those whose desires are not upright, and the righteous. So now we look at the first way to live in point two, the bad. So Habakkuk has asked God, why do you tolerate the treacherous? And maybe that's a question that you've had for God as well as you've looked around the world, you've seen corruption and injustice, there's suffering, and it really is it's a question worth asking God. But God now replies to Habakkuk asking these questions with clarity, saying that he does not tolerate the treacherous doesn't tolerate wrongdoing as a child i remember when i'd made a mess in the sunroom Mum would come outside and she'd see the mess and she'd say jack you should clean this up okay and i'd look at her and i'd grumble okay mum." and i'd pick some stuff up and I'd, i'd eventually clean up the room but it would be a very long process but then one day she came out into the room and said jack can you please clean this mess up I looked up at her and I had a smile on my face. I said, yeah, sure, mum, no worries, that's fine, I can do that, easy. Um, She came out two minutes later with a very surprised look on her face because the room was absolutely spotless. There was nothing at all there. I put all the toys away and I was just kind of standing there smiling at her. Then I started to get a little bit nervous because mum started walking towards a cupboard in the room. I was kind of like, no, don't, don't go that way, other way, other way. Then I got really nervous when she started to open up the door of the cupboard. I was kind of like, oh no. And then I was terrified when everything that I'd crammed into this little cupboard fell on top of mum. Um, I was like, how did she know that what, what I'd done? How did she know I'd done the wrong thing? Some of you are laughing because you've probably been in the same situation before. The cupboard, it's not, not a good trick. But just like what I'd done wasn't hidden from mum that day, my actions couldn't be crammed into that little cupboard. Well, the actions of nations and of people will never be hidden from God's gaze. Nothing is hidden from God's gaze. Habakkuk's concern in the first chapter that God was just sitting idly, not seeing the wrong that was happening, is just not the case. And verse 6 through to 19 of chapter 2, actually map out God's great displeasure at the wrongdoing of the Babylonians. And the fact that his judgment will come on to them too. And we read woe five times to those who would live as the Babylonians do. In verse 6, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. In verse 9, Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. An example of this would be uh, the wealthy using their power, using their money, their lack of compassion on the poor and the downtrodden. To keep them in debt, to be taking the little that they have for their own gain. But I mean, we don't see that today, do we? Of course we do. And in verse 12, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. That's slavery, threatening violence on those who refuse to work for you, and then killing those who keep refusing verse 15 says woe to him who gives drinks to his neighbor pouring from the wineskin skin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies that's those in power instead of caring for people they ignore their needs for their own seek self-satisfaction and pleasure at the expense of other people and finally in verse 19 woe to him who says to wood come to life or to lifeless stone wake up idolatry You look around the world today and you actually see that these things aren't just unique to Babylon. In fact, you look around the world and you see a bit of a mirror reflection of some of the things that we read here, some of the things that Babylon was guilty of. As Mike spoke of last week, there is great injustice in the world that we can't even imagine. Just think of our brothers and sisters suffering at the hands of Isis facing persecution and death and their children are facing death as well. We don't need to think very hard to find irresponsible leaders in the world who are in it for their own gain and their own selfish ambitions. You know sadly some of these leaders have actually been in the church and have done horrible things even here in our own country of Australia and idolatry bowing down to the altar of money, of wealth, sex and compromise, or seeking to please anyone and everything but God. But God here is saying to Habakkuk, saying to us, that justice is coming, and that judgment comes to those who would seek to live this way. They won't get away with it. Verse 16 says this, The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. You hear the the sarcasm in those two words, your glory. Because the world belongs to God. It's His. It's for His glory. In verse 14, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. And for the nations who would seek to take God's power, seek to take his glory, well, like a balloon kind of popping, Babylon's power will disappear, as we'll see later on in the Bible, just like any other nation in the world. God will judge the Babylonians, just as he's judging the Israelites, and just as uh, people of today, nations of today, will too be judged for the way they live. It's a pretty terrifying thought, just leaving it there. I'm glad we don't just leave it there, because God has said there's not just one way to live, but two. Because while the wicked may live by their own power, seeking self-gratification and ignoring God, those who follow God do something else. In verse 4, God has said to Habakkuk, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but... The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And that's point three. We've looked at the good, the bad, and now the righteous. Now, If I was in Habakkuk's position, I think I'd be pretty tempted to try to you know, get a big army together, to go out and fight the Babylonians, try to unite Israel. But more likely than not, I'd probably try to run away and hide in the corner uh, and wait for things to just kind of blow over. But here God says to Habakkuk, don't try to do any of these things. Don't try to rely on anything else but me. Trust in me. And in what I have told you is going to happen. See, God had never let the Israelites down in their history, never in Habakkuk's time as well. Not even once. And even though Habakkuk can't see the good in the situation in front of him, God knew it was there. God is saying to Habakkuk, Even if you don't understand what is going on, I do. I am in control of it. I understand what is happening and why. Trust in me. Because for Habakkuk, he can't see the big picture of what God is doing and what is happening. But for God, he created that big picture, that whole picture. And he's working inside of it, working inside of what is happening. And he actually cares for those who are affected by what is going on we know this because he actually answers Habakkuk when he cries out to him. He tells him about the plans he has put in place for the Babylonians and tells Habakkuk how he is to live during this time through faith in what God has promised is to come. When Habakkuk cried out to God, God didn't answer by going, Hmm, sorry, Habakkuk, sorry, I was watching the Olympics. Um, Israel's doing what now? Instead, he let Habakkuk know that he knows exactly what is happening. And that he's actually doing something about it, that he's in absolute control of the situation. Even though Habakkuk didn't understand what that would look like, well, God wanted him to know that he cares about what is going on, and that he's actually doing something about it. Do you know how we know that God cares about The things that go on in the world about this suffering about the injustice and the corruption about sin and evil if God didn't care about those things he wouldn't have made a way for all the suffering and the injustice the pain evil and sin in the world to be dealt with once and for all but he did he did that through his son Jesus by the greatest cost imaginable his death and he did that for us even though we didn't deserve it, even a single bit. Because the Bible tells us that everyone is guilty of turning away from God. And it's only through a loving God, who is a God of grace and mercy, that we can come back to Him. In the book of Romans, Paul the Apostle refers back to Habakkuk 2, verse 4, and has this to say in chapter 1. We read read a bit of it before in the kid's spot. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, The righteous will live by faith. It's not anything that we do that can make us righteous or right with God it's God. It's all God. We have nothing to contribute. We rest entirely on the grace of a God who is sovereign, who is in control of what is happening, who loves us, and who is calling us to put our trust in Him. See, Habakkuk was told to trust in God and what he had promised, and we are told to do the same thing. The difference for us, though, that so while Habakkuk didn't know how God would ultimately bring about these promises, we do. That's what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 1. When he refers to what God says to Habakkuk, he points us towards the gospel of Jesus. He says to have faith in Jesus. Because the gospel of Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of God's promises. Because it's only through Jesus that we can be saved... It's only through Jesus that evil and sin and suffering in the world can actually be dealt with. And So we are told that the righteous will live by this faith, faith in him. As Mike said in the kids' talk, this faith, it isn't blindly following something. It isn't following someone in the dark, because that doesn't tend to work so well, because your face might suffer a little bit from that if you smack into something. It's not about having enough faith either, or pleasing God that way. Because it's about the object of our faith. For Habakkuk, the object of his faith was God and the promises that he'd made to him. And Paul teaches in Romans that the gospel shows us that the object of our faith is Jesus, knowing that he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And that Jesus calls us to follow him, put our trust in him, that we can have a relationship with the one who's calling us to follow him, that he knows us and has shown us that we can trust in him, even in the hardest of times. In the person of Jesus, God's son, we have the perfect example of what it means to live by faith. Even though he knew what he was facing, he trusted in the Father and followed his will. Even when he was tempted by Satan to turn to worldly comforts, to avoid the pain and death that he faced, he didn't turn to that. Even when he was being led to the cross, he didn't turn aside from being crucified. He trusted in the Father and in his plan and was obedient, even to death on a cross. And he did this for us so that we could be saved from bearing God's wrath because he loves us. And through him, we are promised an end to the suffering and pain in this life. We're promised justice for the oppressed an end to evil, for sin to actually be dealt with, and for salvation for those who don't rely on their own strength or the strength of the world, but on Jesus. And while we see that these promises have been fulfilled in Jesus, Habakkuk doesn't see that. It's the same God of righteousness that has told him to live by faith in his promises, just as we are told to. God has told Habakkuk and us of the two ways to live in this life. And for Habakkuk, standing on the ramparts and hearing God tell him how the righteous shall live by his faithfulness, he has two ways to go. There's the path of the righteous or the path of the unrighteous. Will Habakkuk trust in a sovereign God who is in control of this situation and is bringing it to an end? Or will he take the path of the Babylonians Rely on his own strength, his own power to get out of this, to seek a fleeting satisfaction. Well, how will Habakkuk respond to what God has said? Well, we'll find that out next week, so stay tuned. Come back again to hear about that. Uh, But for us today, here, we are faced with this same question How will you respond? Will you put your trust in God and live by following Him? Or will you follow the path of the Babylonians? Maybe today you'll choose for the first time uh, to put your trust in a God who loves you. And if that's the case, please hear me say, it's the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling right now. And even though you might not see it now, or even tomorrow or the year after, even in this lifetime, actually. There's an end to suffering, there's an end to evil and injustice in this world. And we know it's coming because God has dealt with this in Jesus. Jesus, who felt human suffering in its entirety, who was been tempted by sin in every single way, but never gave into it. Jesus, who is our King, and for those who trust in Him, even though this life will be hard, because we we'll never promised that it won't be, well, when it is over, we will go to be with a loving God where there is no more pain, no more fear that is in this world. But while we are here, we trust in this God and we follow Him as He guides us by His word. And we look forward to that eternity, fully assured that it is coming. But what does that look like today? Living a faithful life. And that's point four, the final point faithful living. We're in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, in chapter six, uh, Daniel, who has been in the thick of Babylonian uh, dominance and rule, actually, um, has seen some of the promises that God made to Habakkuk come into being. So he has seen Babylon in its power, and he's also seen them fall fall to the hands of the Persians and the Medes. And now for Habakkuk, he sits under the rule of King Darius. Now King Darius issued a decree one day under the false wisdom of some of his advisers, that none may bow, bow down to and pray to any god or being for the next 30 days that isn't King Darius. Otherwise they'd be thrown into a den with lions, Great bottle would be put over the, the entrance so that there would be no way for them to escape. Now, these advisors had told King Darius to do this because they actually wanted to get rid of Daniel and undermine him. They were jealous that he had the king's ear. They wanted him to turn from God, or even better, they wanted him to be found praying to God in secret and to be thrown to the lions. But how does Daniel respond after hearing this decree? He didn't go home and cower didn't try to figure out how to undermine the other advisors he didn't go home shuttle the windows put a blanket over his head and pray in secret to god but instead just like he did every single day three times a day got down on his hands and knees left the windows wide open and prayed to god he had the choice of trusting in god and living for him even though it may have ended in his death or of turning away and relying on his own strength, his own wits to get him out of the situation. But unlike the Babylonians whose own strength was their God, Daniel chose to trust in a sovereign God. He had never given Daniel any doubt not to trust in him. I started by talking about the pastors that I'd met in India, and in them we have a great example of what it means to live by faith. While I was in India, I asked one of the pastors uh, why he had responded the way he had responded with the others. And he said to me, we responded that way because we choose to trust in a God who was promised an end to this suffering. He was promised justice. And so we seek to live for him. We seek to turn to him in the hard times. Knowing that one day we get to go to be with him into eternity. We trust in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. For us, even though we see injustice like Habakkuk did, and no suffering, see corruption in this world, we have a God who has always been faithful to the promises that he has made to us. So don't turn from trusting in him, living by faith in him, because even though we may not see it in this lifetime, We know that there is an end to suffering because we've been promised that by God. Though it might not come in this lifetime, God has promised an ultimate end to evil in the world, to sin. When we get to go to be with Him into eternity. So we choose to turn to Him and trust in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your incredible love for us. Shown through your Son, Jesus. Lord, please help us to turn to you, to trust in you in the hard times, knowing that you are in control, that you care about what is going on, and that we can trust in you. Amen.